2 Timothy chapter 1, message I call Grace, Mercy, and Peace. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. Obviously, the human author of this brief epistle is the Apostle Paul. Uh, we know a lot about the circumstances uh, that he was in the midst of as he writes this epistle. And I'm going to talk to you about those uh, in more detail as we go along. Uh, we know, of course, Paul was writing his last inspired letter and uh, spending his days uh, when his days were very few in number. But the fact is that uh, dealing with uh, difficult situations was nothing new in the life of this great old soldier. Uh, he referred to himself as an aged man, which in their way of thinking, he would have probably been at least 60 years old to make that claim. And uh, I don't know if that gives us a biblical reference uh, for dis discussing the fact that you're old once you turn 60 or not, I, uh, but I can handle that. I don't care how many people say 60 is the new 40. <laughs> 60 is still 60. Yeah, sure is. Um, but Paul had had a, a very interesting life, and he describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just listen as I read this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. By the way, no wonder Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Paul spent a lot of time in danger. I read this and I said, man, I, I was in danger when I was by myself out in the middle of nowhere. I was in danger in the city. I was in everywhere in the sea. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Yeah. How's that for an itinerary? But it is in these last moments, as he's facing certain death, uh, tradition tells us shortly after writing this letter, Paul was taken from the depths of the Mamertine dungeon just across the street from the Senate building, not far from the Roman Forum. He would have been led by the Ostian Way outside the city of Rome, and there on an April morning, tradition again asserts, he was beheaded. Uh, last words. 
What's going on as we read this epistle? Well, we'll see right up front that Paul is lonely. He'll say in the section we read this morning, or that we read, I, I, I long night and day, he said, to see you. I, I long to see you. Um, you know, something about going through difficult times often makes us feel very lonely and isolated. Even when we're surrounded by close friends and family, there's something about going through this struggle makes you feel isolated. He's feeling abandoned. He'll write later, uh, I, all those in Asia have turned against me, that's 2 Timothy 1.15. Only Luke is with me, 2 Timothy 4.11. Demas has forsaken me, that's 2 Timothy 4 and 10. He's feeling lonely and abandoned. He's cold. <laughs> Might not figure something significant about that, but he's cold. It's written in Scripture. He asked Timothy to bring the coat that he left in Troas. That's in 2 Timothy 4 and 13. He seems uh, maybe to be bored a little, struggling with knowing what to do because he asked him to bring the books and the parchments that he had left behind so he could spend some time reading and studying. Verse 13 of chapter 4. Paul knows that the end of his life is at hand. He says in verse 6 and 7, the time of my departure is at hand. That's pretty specific, isn't it? So by anybody's standard, Paul's going through a pretty dark and difficult time with no hope of recovery, no anticipation of release. I don't mean to be just a downer to you this morning I just want, or this evening. I want to be factual with you. This is just what's going on, what he's going through. You know, I, I look over our prayer list several times a week as I read and pray for those who are on it. And it is amazing to me, uh, both the number and the depth of people in our church family who are going through long-term debilitating times of suffering. Some of you are here tonight, and I'm constantly amazed by your dedication, your steadfastness, the way you continue serving the Lord uh, through all of the difficulties that you're going through. And while a lot of us could honestly say, you know, I'm in pretty good shape for the shape I'm in, uh, a lot of us are not in pretty good shape anymore. Some of you are going through some really, really difficult things. And in Paul's case, the world around him was disintegrating. Never forget that Paul was living and serving uh, in the midst uh, of the reign of a madman named Nero, we, I mean, the Roman state was suffering. The nation was suffering. His Jewish nation was suffering. And yet, even though the world was falling down in a way around him, everything he knew was, was uh, being turned upside down. His very life was nearing an end. Paul is still preaching. He's still presenting God's truth. He's still praying and proclaiming his trust in God. You know, it's one thing to trust God in the midst of carefree and happy times. It's another thing to trust God in the dark and cold and lonely and frightening times. It's one thing to trust God 
when we're healthy and everything's going good, it's another thing to trust God when we're not healthy and it's not going good. We might expect Paul to need ministry. Now, I'll give you that he certainly wants company, okay? But uh, he uh, is still ministering to others, still challenging others, still teaching others, still speaking God's truth, still witnessing, still proclaiming the gospel. And that tells me that not only as marvelous as it is that Paul is still expressing God's grace, but he's still experiencing it. It becomes a a wonderful scene then as we look there into this cold, dark dungeon at this lonely old apostle feeling abandoned, uh, wanting his books, wanting a coat. I might would have called for a steak dinner myself. I don't know about y'all, but no, nothing like that. Just a coat and the parchments, I'll be fine. As we look then at this scene, uh, we see a remarkable scene of a man facing death and yet experiencing the grace of God, the peace of God, and the mercy of God. Grace, mercy, and peace. These are things he believes in, but these things are things he is living out. And by the very fact that God saw to it that Paul would live out these things, we know that this is something that he intends for us to do as well. So tonight, uh, let's just think about those. I'm not going to tell you anything profound about God's grace or God's mercy or God's peace. It just does us good every now and then to remind ourselves exactly what they are and what they're doing for us. And we begin with the first, and that is God's grace. You know, we define grace as unmerited favor. It's a lot more than that. Grace is the quality of God that gives us what we don't deserve. It's more than that. Grace is indeed amazing. The amazing grace of God. It is by God's grace that we experience the forgiveness of sin, a a forgiveness that is just as real and will be just as real on the very last day that we live as it was on the first day that we believed. And that's good news for you tonight. Wouldn't it be sad to go through all your life of service and then get right down on your deathbed and think some horrible, awful thought and die and go to hell? Wouldn't that be awful? I want you to know God's forgiveness is going to have you covered on that last day too. So from the very first day that we're believing, we receive it, and we experience that marvelous truth by grace of God's forgiveness of sin. That grace is going to continue to bring God's forgiveness of sin so that, yes, we can face that last day of our life with assurance. We'll talk more about that peace of God a little bit later This is a a very specific part of that piece, our assurance. This Paul would write it this way in 2 Corinthians 1. We had the sentence of death in ourselves, so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. And I love this. Who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. 
You see, the, the same God that delivered you from eternal death when he saved you is the same God who continues to deliver you from eternal death. Jesus Christ put it this way, that when we believe on Jesus Christ, we are passed from death unto life. I love that. That means we've been moved out of the death column and put over into the life column. We are no longer under the sentence of death, Paul says. God delivered us from that, but he keeps on delivering us. And praise God, he will yet deliver us. That's God's grace. Because God's grace is operating us in the way that we are, in the way that he is, it means that we can start every day with a kind of clean slate. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to start out our days or live out our days then and uh, that trap of guilt and shame and self-condemnation because God's grace is continually operating on us. We don't have to carry over to today's failures and let them rob us of tomorrow's blessings. The Bible says that God's grace is fresh and new every morning. So I can't imagine going through life without a knowledge of how God's grace is operating in us. To give us what we do not deserve. And what we do not deserve is forgiveness of sin And the enablement then to pick up from our failures, to move on again. God, by his grace, is continually working in us all. But then there's also God's mercy. And God's mercy is what keeps us from getting what we do deserve. Oh, I tell you what. When it comes to God, uh, we never want to stand before him and say, God, I want what's fair. Never argue with God about what's fair. God, this ain't fair. Oh, you want fair? (laughs) Uh, No, 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 God, I don't want fair. Oh, no. God's mercy keeps us from getting what we do deserve. You see, God's mercy can even temper the trials of our life and adjust them to our human frailty. Uh, Jesus talked about that in John chapter 16 and verse 12. Uh, He said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them yet. Isn't that interesting? There was truth that Jesus wanted to give them. Truth that we might say they needed to hear, but they weren't ready to hear it yet. You're not ready to hear it at this point in time. You're not ready for this. (laughs) There's a very bad movie one time. It was famous, had a famous line in it. I'm not even sure what the movie was, but it said, you can't handle the truth. I remember that. Jack Nicholson said that. You can't handle the truth. Well, this wasn't exactly what Jesus was saying, but he was telling us that he recognizes our human frailty. And he was adjusting his revelation at that point in time to the disciples' human 
frailty. There were things that they weren't going to learn, things they would not understand until they were strengthened by the truth of his resurrection. Some of them perhaps even coming after Pentecost when the fullness of the New Testament gift of the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And it would be living out then what Jesus said, he will guide you into all truth. There was, there was more to come that they weren't ready for yet. Uh, we tend to think, you see, that our lives should be full of delight. That our lives should be full of, of easy experiences. And we seem oftentimes to be somewhat surprised by our difficulties. It, it seems that more and more uh, people tend to think that because we're Christians, we really shouldn't have trials. We really shouldn't have difficulties. We really shouldn't have hard times. And it's not that we're surprised by the fact of difficulty. That doesn't surprise us. After all, Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. And we're all okay with that as long as it's in the world. It's when it comes knocking on my door that all of a sudden we're surprised by it. When the wolf isn't just scratching around out in the yard anymore, leaving tracks out in the yard anymore, but he's actually at our door. When there is difficulty and it comes to me and to you. We can find that somewhat surprising. But considering who we are, what we are, and where we are, living in a fallen, sin-cursed world, I'm going to make a statement to you tonight. Without the mercy of God, every day would be filled with nothing but hard times. It would be filled with disaster and chaos. Life would be filled with malice and hatred and viciousness and suffering and betrayal. The fact that these things come to us rather infrequently is a tribute to the mercy of God. So that we can see that not only does God's grace operate all the time. And God's grace is that quality that gives us what we do not deserve, which is forgiveness. But God's mercy is also operating all the time. So that we don't get what we do deserve. I read recently a testimony of a preacher whose daughter was about to experience her second knee surgery in two years as a young teenager. And one of the congregation uh, came to him and asked, well, why do you think your daughter is having such a hard time with her knees? And he took that to be somewhat of an insinuation that, you know, maybe there's some a cosmic explanation for this you know maybe you know she's done something wrong maybe something bad has happened maybe God is trying to teach him something they, they expected some great spiritual answer and I don't know he said I just told him he said when you consider how long that girl has been playing ball and she plays three different sports and all the hours that she spends practicing and all the hours that she spends playing and all the time that she spends going 100% all the time. said, it's amazing that she's only had to have two surgeries. It's not that God had failed them. She was doing pretty well. It's a tribute to God's mercy that it wasn't worse. 
So God's grace is operating in us every day. God's mercy is operating in us every day. And then there's God's peace. This kind of peace is that sense of well-being that comes when we realize that God is very much still God. No matter how dire the circumstances may seem or how difficult they may appear, Jesus has promised to go with us because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he has also promised uh, that our destination is secure. The world may indeed seem to be spinning out of control and getting more out of control all the time. Our life situation may be threatening. It may even seem to be hopeless. But the great truth of God is still there for us to live as Christ and to die is gain. Do we believe that? We have to believe that. And one of the great testimonies to the validity of the Christian faith is how we as believers face death. To live as Christ and to die as gain. The peace of God then shall keep your hearts and minds through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So uh, Paul is expressing grace, he is expressing mercy, and he is expressing peace, but he's also experiencing these things. In his own time of difficulty. But there's one more thing. Paul is praying for others. Verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul did not descend into a pit of self-reflection or self-pity. If he ever asked God why this all was happening to him, it's certainly not recorded for us in Scripture. And in fact, Paul tells us very plainly that he knows exactly why he's going through it. As he described him over, himself over and over again as the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you, for you Gentiles. Paul knew why he was in jail. It's because he was preaching the truth of the gospel. Specifically because he was preaching the truth about the gospel of the unity of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. So that there wasn't going to be a Jewish quarter and a Gentile quarter in heaven. But we're all one in Christ Jesus. That middle wall of partition was broken down. And and according to God's then eternal purpose that we'll talk more about next week. uh, The Jew and the Gentile could be one in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul was in jail. That's why he was hated and debated. If he'd have just backed off a little bit on that gospel stuff, (laughs) he could have had a lot easier time of it. But he never backed off. And everywhere he went, he either had a revival or a riot or both. He knew why he was in jail. You and I might not have exactly that same confidence all the time. And I'm not saying that if you ever wonder about why you're going through what you're going through, that that's not a valid thing. But I will tell you, you may be walking around on streets that are paved with gold before you get the answer that you seek. In the meantime, what do you do with your time? I think Paul gave us a pretty good example. Uh, Paul wrote a whole lot down. 
When I began teaching homiletics over 20 years ago, and that's the, the art of preparing and then delivering a sermon. And uh, when I began teaching that, I, I thought that one of the things I need to tell these young preachers is that they need to write their stuff down. And the reason why is if you don't write it down, you'll never remember it. You'll lose it. You think you'll remember it because you've got that steel trap of a mind that's going to hang on to everything. It won't. It won't. But if you will write down your sermons, and over the course of a lifetime, you will write a whole commentary on the, on the scriptures of everything that you preached and taught, everything that you've studied through and given your heart and life to. Write it down. Write it down. But folks, that's not good, just good advice for preachers. Have you ever written anything down? Are you writing something down? I can assure you, I know it for a fact how valuable that is. I have a, a journal of my grandfather that I found in a box of papers uh, in my dad's barn. Uh, at the same time, I found letters that my grandfather wrote to his mother and that she had in turn written to him while he was in the Merchant Marines in the Great War, and that's World War I. And so while he was serving, he was writing, and he had kept his mother's letters. He wasn't married at the time, and his mother had kept his. I've got those too. I've read them. Uh, did they contain personal information? Oh, they contain profound information. Uh, one thing I noticed is my grandparents and great-grandparents could really write well. They had good penmanship. Uh, that showed up. Spend some time writing. Write down what you've learned. It's never been easier. Pull up your computer. Get your word processor. Pull up Microsoft Word. Start a file that says, for my kids and grandkids. <laughs> Write it down. Write it down. If you don't start now, it might be too late. But if God has you here, and, you, and maybe you're like Paul, and you're one of those who knows their time is short, write some things down. For your kids and grandkids. What am I here for? Aren't you glad that Paul wrote down a whole lot of stuff for us? Epistle after epistle after epistle after epistle. Including this one, 2 Timothy. Another thing that Paul spent a lot of time doing was praying. We know his circumstances. We know what was going on. And so he's careful to point out then that he is experiencing God's grace and God's mercy and God's peace. He doesn't just believe in them. He is experiencing them and he's expressing them. But in the midst of it all, he is still writing and he's still praying. And by the way, if you read his inspired letters, you're going to find out that prayer is found on almost every page. Some of the greatest prayers you'll ever read in your life 
were penned by the Apostle Paul as he was inspired to write them by the Holy Spirit during this time. He was praying. One writer suggested that considering the profound nature of Paul's prayer and their enduring legacy, because number one, they were inspired, and number two, they were put in Scripture for us. It is possible that Paul may have accomplished more in advancing the kingdom through his prayers than he was able to do through his active years of ministry. Think about how many generations and generations and generations and generations have been impacted by the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Now, we might say, well, that's Paul. Yeah, but that can be Richard, too, and that can be any one of you. God can answer your prayers long after you've left this life and are walking around in glory. Wouldn't it be great? And this is purely hypothetical. But wouldn't it be great? There we are, kind of minding our business, walking around on the streets paved with gold and thinking about for the empty zillion time of how beautiful they are and how amazing it all is. And all of a sudden, one of the angels come by and said, Hey, buddy, I, God wants you up there at the throne room. So here we go. And then he says to us, Now watch this. And there's a prayer that we prayed. And that prayer is about to be answered. Now, that might seem a little far-fetched. And part of it, I'll admit, is purely just made up for my benefit. But not on one thing. Before God began to move in judgment in the book of Revelation, there is a silence in heaven. And we often talk about what that means. Amen? There was silence in heaven. And then an angel came and released those prayers of the saints. Who knows how many generations of God's people had prayed, Oh God, how long are you going to let this go before you act? How, will you please do something about this? And suddenly, God is about to unleash his judgment. But before he does, there are the prayers of the saints. I can't tell you what all we can accomplish through prayer, but I tell you what, I, I believe in it. So you might be asking tonight, well, why am I going through this and what is God wanting me to do? Well, we've got a pretty good example through the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote down some things, some things that he had learned, some things that were valuable to him. That he could leave behind then. And thank God that he did. And Paul spent a lot of time in prayer. He continued to witness when he could. No question about it. We know that he did. Because he said that many of the palace guard. Had become believers. Because of his testimony. You can do a lot with a guy that has chained up to you. You know what I mean? That, uh, uh, he had to talk about a captive audience. He had one. He didn't let it slip away. Paul witnessed when he could. We can too. So tonight, our faith in Jesus Christ isn't just for the miraculous, although God sometimes does bring us those amazing things. Our faith is also for the long, steady grind of everyday reality. And I'll tell you what, folk. 
Everybody in this building needs our faith for that long, steady grind of everyday reality. Our faith is for the burden of a long decline into poor health. Our faith is as much for the hospice ward as it is for the maternity ward. Grace, mercy, and peace. And by the way, I'm praying for you. What an example. Simple message tonight. One that we can all use and put into practice. Grace. God is giving us things that we don't deserve. God is keeping away from us things that we do deserve. God gives us his peace, and God gives us the privilege of prayer. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand together, please.